You're listening to the RUV English podcast. To hear more and for all the news from Iceland in English, just head to ruv.is slash English. Hello, it's Ruv English and I'm Darren Adam. Thank you for joining us once again today on the service. And thank you to a friend of the service who's back after a slightly busier period in his life than might usually have been the case. It's Andre Menchenin, our aviation friend who's going to talk about the history of the international airport at Keplavik and its importance to Iceland today. But Andre, you're looking a bit less stressed and less busy than you were maybe three or four weeks ago. Why is that? Hi, Darren. Uh, thanks for having me. And uh, yeah, for sure, the last three weeks was really busy uh, because of the, of course, the mm. eruption of the newest Icelandic volcano. And loads of people wanting to see it from the sky. Uh, thousands of people that's just something crazy we put some records on our using of the helicopters yeah in the Reykjavik and you know that there was even a scandal from uh, local people uh, who were uh, just uh, saying that's too much noise from this uh, helicopter traffic and uh, as soon as they as soon as they asked to move all helicopter operations somewhere outside Reykjavik airport, yes. the volcano stopped. It did, almost on the same day. And it was noisy. I mean, I, I, we now live in Kopovoya and the helicopters were doing a lot of business flying, well, you flying know, overhead. Some people say noise, others, others say it's just a music in our ears. Well, I suppose if you want to listen to it as that, it, it, it could be. But you're right, there was a conversation about moving the, the departure point somewhere else. Would that have happened, do you think? No, no. It's really difficult to uh, do this because most of the people who want to fly on a mm. helicopter the whole idea is that they want to fly it well in ideally just straight from the hotel uh, yes. if it would be a helipad on the roof of the hotel you know if we're saying if we're, if we're telling them like now you need to drive somewhere like 40 minutes to yeah. the house and then you will depart from there and fly for like five minutes then it just doesn't make sense yeah. they just can you know just drive to the volcano basically maybe they will add helicopter parking to the parker app that we all use for parking around Reykjavik. You can yeah, park, your, park your helicopter in P1 for 200 kroner for an hour. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, as you know, it's right now uh, to park a private jet in Reykjavik airport is uh, cheaper than to park a car in, <laughs> in downtown garage. So I, I guess helicopter will be even even more cheaper because it's smaller. Okay. So, yeah. Well, maybe this this won't be something we wrestle with until and unless there's another yeah. another eruption maybe, on, on Reykjavik. Maybe one of the scooter operators maybe, uh, will, maybe. will just extend its operations, you know. Now, when we talked about the eruption at Reykjavik, a lot of people looked on a map and thought, oh, my God, I'm flying into Keplavik. That's right next to that. And, of right. course, you and I, we did a program about why this eruption at Reykjavik did not affect aviation, even very, very close True. to that International Airport. Today, we're going to do a show that we postponed because of the eruption, and that's going to be about the history of the airport itself, Keplavik International Airport, which for so many, vast majority, not all, but a vast majority of people coming to Iceland, it's the first thing they see. Yeah, the this, are the mo this are the main entry point in Iceland, yeah. first of all. Uh, but yeah, just to slightly touch the topic about the concerns um, of uh, air traffic due to the uh, air volcanic eruption. Yes. It actually was a pretty much concern uh, three years, no, two years ago when there was a first eruption in 2021. 
uh, I mean, first uh, in the series of these eruptions, which we're having now, uh, because it was like first uh, over time for mm. a long time uh, for a long time period. I think it was actually first eruption for what? Do you remember like eight hundred uh, years? Eight hundred years, that, yeah. That's yeah. what I read. And uh, it's really close to the airport. It, I remember I was calculating the distance from the uh, closest point of the runway to the approximate uh, eruption site, and it was something like between 12 and 15 kilometers, <laughs> which is like super close, you know? It's like just 12 kilometers, yeah. the plane is landing, and on the 12 kilometers you have lava flowing. So yeah. it's just, uh, in terms of the aviation risks, it's crazy distance. Yeah. Um, but no risk because there was no ash being kicked up by this first eruption. First of all, yes. Second, the size of the eruption. And the size so, of it as well. Because uh, it was, it was, uh, you know, the main concern was that it would be a big eruption. Yeah. And then it could really affect it. But now, uh, now we know that it's not the case. And I think some tourists, some visitors were very lucky because they were on flights where the pilot was keen to fly them over the eruption site. So Most some, of the Icelandic airlines do that. Yeah, yeah. So a lot of people would have had free trips, well, not free trips, but bonus trips, I guess, exactly. over the eruption side, which is fantastic. Okay, so this week we are talking about Keplavik International Airport. Uh, I think back to our first trip here in 1998, and I would say it must have at least have doubled in size in 25 years, if not trebled. And it's still growing. And it's still growing. It's still growing. Boy, is it growing. Right now there is a, a huge construction site uh, to build a new terminal. Yeah. Uh, just uh, three years ago, four years ago, uh, the apron with the stands was extended uh, like maybe yeah as you said like two times or at least two times maybe even like two and a half because uh, they just put more stands and even some stands are with the underground passage mm -hmm. for the passengers and then you just basically show up on the surface and from the surface you have um, a jetway directly to the plane so just imagine the thing. I think it's very Icelandic stuff. It's like you and first you enter the terminal like normal way, and then you go through the terminal. Then you go underground. You walk under the apron. Mm. Then you show up on the surface, but actually you don't go outside because you know the weather can be really rough there. Yes. Instead of this, when you while you appearing on the surface, you just enter the jetway and just direct corridor to the plane, from underground to the plane. So that means the end of the bus. Yeah, basically. Thank God for that. Do you know, I used to fly every two weeks at least from London to Edinburgh for about eight years. And maybe one time in ten, you'd get the dreaded gate 4A at Heathrow, which is the one that means you've got to get the bus to the plane. It always marked a really rubbish start to the weekend. <laughs> there are a few things I hate more than having to get a bus to the plane from the terminal. And it happens a lot at Keplavik just now, Well, to your disappointment, there's still some stands <laughs> with the buses. It's not gone forever. But uh, the most um, remote stands, they now have these jetways directly from underground yeah i to be honest i don't remember if if we have anything like this anywhere in europe because it's maybe not a thing there uh, but uh, because in iceland you remember how many flights are delayed uh yes. just stuck in keplavik during our uh, winter storms yes and because of the heavy winds and of course uh i remember already like uh, in my memory, we were like three or four cases uh, when there were an empty plane parked on the stand 
and then it was moved by wind gust uh, yes. just turned around, yeah, yeah. around yeah, its point that. Yeah. and just basically smashed to your jetway or to some something well that was last nearby. that last year in fact or maybe uh, even the early part of this year the most fact. recent was last year yeah, yeah. Iceland, they were Boeing 757 and it's actually a bit scary to see because 757 is pretty big uh-huh. plane uh, and then you can you can just see it's like moving by itself, mm-hmm. just by the wind. Now this this will be a very wide ranging and sort of freewheeling conversation. So we'll go back and forth on different aspects of oh, our yeah. conversation about Keplavik. But as as you mention the weather, and a big problem, of course, for tourists and visitors to Iceland is if it's very windy, the plane can land safely, but mm-hmm. you can't get the doors open. You can't put the jetway up to the plane to get people off safely. If the, yeah, wind, is, exactly. if the wind is stronger than, I think, 25 or 28 metres per second, it's around... Uh, it's 25 metres, which is roughly 50 knots. Yeah. Uh, so the limit is 50 knots uh, for the ground crew to operate uh, ground equipment yeah. and also jetways. Okay. So, so that so that's implemented quite a lot and more than people would like. A question that's often asked is, is it not possible to build some sort of giant hangar uh, so that planes which can land can then be taken to a place where the wind is not going to stop them that's from getting passengers off? That's a good off? idea. And uh, the thing is that I discussed it with my fellow pilots uh, some time ago uh, because I, I didn't find any flaws in this idea. And uh, he said, like, yeah, at first it looks nice, but then imagine how difficult it would be to park planes there because you need to be super precise. And also for different types of planes, you mostly need different types of hangars for right. that. So it's very difficult to make it universal and easy, uh, like, uh, using, use it in an easy way. Um, so, yeah, it's it's... Looks very good on paper, but right. maybe awful in practice. And the other issue that affects people using the airport, and this was the case for me on the very day that we moved to Iceland last December. Okay. Uh, I had been in Iceland a few days previously. I'd bought a car a couple of weeks prior to that point. Right. I'd left it at Keplavik, and in in the P three lot, which of course is one of the one of the bigger lots, mm-hmm. all of which are outdoors. Got back, and it took me and a very very helpful gentleman from the park service a couple of a couple of hours to dig the car out oh. of of snow and ice i mean it was like ice had glued my car to the ground it was so cold and so on of course that week I it had been freezing it. and melting and freezing and melting so the whole thing was like an icicle is there any hope of a multi-story car park or a sort of indoor car park that's at a good question for isavia uh, you might yeah. need to send them a couple emails yeah um, those, those are the two things i want i want a car park and i want a big hangar for the planes big, uh, big hangar, yeah. <laughs> uh, the thing is um yeah uh, in general uh, to like you know struggle with weather is uh, kind of hopeless uh, thing in Iceland as you know uh, there are very good um, efforts to do that at least to forecast uh, like as far as I know a couple of years ago Isavia put uh, special detectors along the whole uh, terminal yeah. and uh, they can uh, they can measure the wind very precise on the, in the certain points uh, of the airport. So let's say um, if we have this wind which is just on the edge around 50 knots 
and we don't know actually if we can operate jetway then we can measure wind exactly on the stand and at some stand it can be 48 knots mm. which is still very well risky but not that risky so we can operate jetway and people should not stuck or like wait in the plane for like four five six hours or longer or sometimes. longer true yeah. uh another uh, yeah and also of course it helps uh to measure it and uh to store the data and then we can forecast it because we if we uh, you know collect the data then next time we can mm. see like yeah that time a storm was developing in this way so maybe this time we can expect this and that so um but of course uh, we also need to remember that the main uh, decision uh, to fly or not to fly is on the airlines yes so it's uh, mostly them who you can blame if your plane is stuck somewhere, uh, especially sometimes with low coasters who really are trying to push the limit and uh, just fly even it's already a bad forecast. Mm. They just like it's uh, for some reason it's uh, cheaper for them to risk and uh, have plane stuck then to cancel the flight and do yeah do, do and, and when you talk about risk you aren't talking about a risk to passenger safety you're talking about a risk of a plane being stuck somewhere yeah no uh, yeah of course i'm not talking about dying or something or crashing no it's not it's not like that <laughs> no uh of course uh because but it's, it's a risk to the company's own bottom line isn't yeah, it risk uh, if, if if you mean this flight safety uh this is the main uh responsibility of the captain Yes. Of the pilot. Yes. And, and do you think do you think do you think Icelandic pilots are braver or well they're they're better at dealing with windy braver. windy and blizzardy conditions I guess aren't they? Well, we in aviation <laughs> prefer not to use uh, this kind of term braver. Okay, let me let me re are they are they better more experienced at dealing with bad weather? Okay, that's, that's a better that's, way of that's putting that's it, I think, isn't it. Yeah, of course, as soon as they fly more often in these conditions, yeah. uh, they uh, consider to be more uh, experienced in this. Uh, especially on maybe domestic flights, because um, it's uh, can be crazy weather as well in domestic airports, like mm -hmm. uh, the most well-known Isafjordur on the uh, north, which can be closed for several days during the winter yes. just because yeah. of the weather. But in Keplavik, uh, the airport itself, this is important. another important thing, the airport itself uh, is not closed even the weather is crazy, uh, because... Technically, the plane can take off and can land, even though even the wind is very strong. Yeah. That's why, uh, if you look on the map of the Keplavik, we have two runways which is uh, crossed, and which means we have four directions. Uh, and back in the years, there was even a third runway, which just went uh, between these two. Mm -hmm. So uh, then you had like six directions, basically for any type of wind. You know, and, yes. uh, but now it's four is enough uh, because planes are more uh, sophisticated now and they can actually uh, endure more yeah. the crosswind. And, 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 and again, the problem last year wasn't that planes couldn't land. It's that all these planes were landing and the road was closed. People couldn't get That's from the thing, yeah. people couldn't get from the airport anywhere really Remember could they? how we discussed when the Icelander even arranged uh, some special flights between Keplavik and Reykjavik yes the, the, it was very the secret flight. domestic service from yeah yeah <laughs> another thing by the way that um Keplavik is uh, actually uh, on my experience very often confused with Reykjavik airport oh yeah because in um, 
most of the like you know uh, ticket services it's uh, named as a Reykjavik by the name of the capital. Yes, yes. And people like say, oh, are we going to Reykjavik directly or stuff like that? And then it's a big surprise for them when they actually arrive and it's like 50 kilometers from the city. Yes, and that wouldn't, that wouldn't be a problem if there wasn't also an airport at Reykjavik, which is, of course, the domestic airport, yeah, exactly. which, we, which we've talked about. Exactly. So, yes, I think most people are maybe aware of that now, but if you are planning to come to Iceland, just be aware that if you are flying to Kef, which you will be if you're flying internationally, you will be about... About 45 kilometers away from the capital. True. But there are loads of ways to get to Reykjavik. That's, that's true. Okay, let's go right back to the history then, because we've talked about the weather in Iceland. I want to know why it was felt it was a good idea to build an airport at the end of this really windy peninsula sticking out into the sea. Well, uh, first of all, of course, due to necessity to deliver military cargoes. Uh, same with the Reykjavik airport. It uh, was built as a military airbase during World War II. Uh, was built by uh, U.S. Army uh, because they had to deliver a lot of stuff here in Iceland um, and uh, establish air bridge between Europe and the U.S. And uh, Iceland was a good uh, pivotal point, you know, for them to like as a hub for cargo and people. So. And uh, through the years, Keplavik remained the main militarized place in Iceland. Do we know why it was there, though? Why there, rather why than there? somewhere that might have been a bit less windy or closer to Reykjavik, maybe? Well, here we just step in into this discussion about uh, closing Reykjavik and finding a better place for another airport. As uh, now we know, uh, there is no better place, actually. Because yeah. if you look in the other areas around Reykjavik, uh, they're not good enough during um, uh, during uh, different periods of the year. So, that, so it is the closest the place that kind of works most of the time. Then, yeah, the it's just a huge open flat space, yeah. uh, more, more or less flat because it's lava fields, uh, yes. which you can just flat enough. And then you have, uh, well, it's it, 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 the main disadvantage maybe that it's so much open be, uh, because uh, because of that we have a very strong winds yeah, yeah on the other hand if there would be some mountains then it would be even more complicated situation because yes. mountains they create some uh, different airflow and turbulence and stuff like that which is very difficult to predict even now so it's actually the best of bad options then uh, yeah yeah. This is, this, yeah this is this is the best among the worst you know? <laughs> at the same time okay so when does the airport become an airport that travelers would recognize that you could fly to as a tourist so after world war ii when there was a a, a boom of the passenger uh, airlines all over the world and also in iceland when the, this all air services were established of course Keplavik became the main airport um, most of the uh, reasons because uh, it has uh, uh, the longest runways in iceland to land any types of the planes. And um, uh, of course, uh, the terminal, how you see it right now, it was much smaller back then. And mm. uh, I think th uh, from 80s, it was already extended like at least a couple times. And now we basically see the like fourth generation of the terminal and it's keep it's keeping extending. Yes, know? yes, it is. Uh, mostly because uh, now it's extending because um, if you remember the best uh, year in Icelandic tourism before the COVID, I think it was 2017, 
because in 2018 it was already a bit smaller amount of the tourists. Uh, so uh, because people were so much impressed by the statistic of tourism in 2017, they decided, hey, we need a bigger airport. Yes. Uh, I remember discussions in 2017 that the main problem in the airport was a lot of bottlenecks in terms of the packs flow, passengers flow. Yeah. yeah. Um, there was a, a bottleneck on the security so it was extended a lot okay then people started to go faster there then the next bottleneck was in the uh, boarding area at yeah. the final yeah. point where where you at go the gates the plane. at yeah, the yeah. gates exactly yeah, yeah. and uh if you remember there's uh, this narrow corridor with uh, with the, like uh, six gates yes and there's no place for people to wait basically well we flew to boston a couple of weeks ago and it was one of i think four flights leaving at the same kind of time mm-hmm. in a very confined area and nobody knew where to stand there was just a room full of people that should have been four different queues but yeah. you know there's just not enough space in parts of the and airport imagine that in 2017 there were literally hundreds of people waiting for the flights because there were a lot of charter uh, flights with the bigger planes and it was just uh, overcrowded there you so literally people were struggling to go through the corridor because it's uh, it was just stuck with the with the you know with passengers awaiting board into the uh, flight or actually mm. board into the flight uh so the decision was to extend the terminal to build um actually Uh, something which is even twice more in terms of a square uh, with uh, additional gates, additional mm. uh, stands and additional areas for waiting and, you know, restrooms, shops, cafes and everything like that. Then it's all started like it's a long process, very slow process, you know, to find the contractor, to prepare the place mm-hmm. and then to start the process. And somewhere in the middle of this process, the COVID happened. And then, of course, people were pretty much disappointed because of that. Uh, it, I think it was uh, the worst year for Keplavik Airport for decades. Probably uh, ever. I mean, the numbers must have fallen away to well, I'm pretty sure, almost zero. Well, I'm, pre- I'm, I'm pretty sure, uh, well, we will find a point in the history of Keplavik when there yeah. were less passengers than in the COVID year, because there still were some. Yes. Uh, And I think Iceland also did a lot of cargo business at that time, didn't they? They yeah, they switched they, their business to yeah, moving yeah, yeah. stuff they rather than people. They switched, uh, switched to cargo deliveries, yeah, yeah, as yeah. many other airlines in the yes, world. Yes, yes. But, yeah, uh, but then uh, when the COVID uh, actually became over, uh, then uh, there are forecasts say that, uh, worry not, we expect even more passengers now, because uh, people are so... Uh, you know, so like bored to be stuck at home that they really want to travel now. Yeah. And Iceland yeah. is still in the top list of the destinations for many people in the bucket list. And then uh, then the construction process continued and it's still going on. We expect it to be uh, finished uh, during the next years. Yes. Um, and it seems it seems very 
promising right yeah. now. It seems like there is a desire to expand the airport yeah. and a recognition that it needs to be. And maybe that will, as we say, take away the issue with having to get a bus to the plane. It will perhaps take away the issue with the bottleneck that we've described as well. This is worth mentioning because we've talked about Reykjavik Airport. There's a little bit of additional pressure at Keplavik because some of the flights to our near neighbours, the Faroes and Greenland, that used to go from the so-called domestic airport, they go from Keplavik now as well, don't they? Uh, true, uh, but when we uh, just to like a small remark, when we're talking, uh, when we're saying uh, that Reykjavik is domestic airport, it's still uh, technically international airport because we have custom office there. So, uh, so it, it can handle international flights. International flights, yeah. flights yeah. still possible there. Yes, uh, it's just mostly now short for domestic flights. Uh, but yeah, uh, uh, Air Greenland and uh, Atlantic Airways they moved their flights uh, to Keplavik. Um, I think the main reason is not because the Keplavik is so much better or something like this. It's not about the airport itself, but it's just too more convenient for the uh, uh, for the people to change their planes. You know, to yes. to make like uh, connections between the flights because. People who fly from Faroe Islands, they sometimes pre- uh, like you know prefer to take Icelander flights somewhere else to the US, for example. Yes. Even though now Atlantic Airways started their own flights to the New York, uh, just a couple of days ago they um, performed the maiden flight from direct flight from Faroe Islands. Really? So d- direct from the Faroes to the States? Yeah, yeah. Okay. And it's, and it's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, I guess that if you've wanted to go from the Faroes to America before, you'd have to connect through Iceland. Yeah, at through least. Capitalism. Or Denmark. Or oh, Denmark, okay. Yeah, yeah going, going the now, wrong way. For... <laughs> they have uh, they have this direct uh, yeah. flight, uh, direct connection. Okay. And it's actually first time in the history ever when uh, there's direct flight between Faroe Islands. Do you know, my, my partner who was flying back to Edinburgh a couple of times from Iceland, he found it easier to fly via the Faroes and then on to Edinburgh than to fly Icelander to Glasgow and then have to get from Glasgow to Edinburgh. It was actually quicker. On the Faroe, you will, you will have a better views and everything. It's, yes. It's still a cool place to visit. It is. OK, so back to Iceland, back to Keplavik. It has grown and grown and grown. And I forget where I saw this, but there was a wonderful website that I stumbled across a couple of weeks ago that had photos from the late 60s, 1970s, I think, of the duty-free store. Ah. Everything is sort of velour. Everything is smoke-stained. You can you know, smell the cigarette smoke coming out of that photograph. <laughs> it really has developed unrecognizably over the years if you if you look at where it was when it started and where it is now it's a completely different airport it's completely different and um we also have to mention that there is a second phase of the airport which uh, is not very often mentioned but actually we have a military side of the airport so actually if if we look on the map, there are three main sectors of Keplavik. Uh, most of the people know only the passenger sector, which is the terminal and the gates around. Uh, then on the east, uh, there is a private sector mm-hmm. where all business jet fly uh, or like some charters, like uh, famous um, Antonov Airlines, huge cargo planes, just monstrous planes. They just fly... Uh, when they fly through Keplavik, they usually stand there. It's like plane the size of uh, of a, like four st- uh, store house 
basically with the four yeah. engines. You can put a small train inside of this plane. You can imagine the size. The only train in Iceland. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it we, would don't, be. <laughs> we don't have it. But uh, so uh, we can we can say that uh, there are no trains uh, riding in Iceland, but there are some trains flying in Iceland. Some fly in Iceland. Yeah. Iceland. Okay. And but, yeah, and then and then on the west there is a military part. Actually, the part where it all starts from because it was a military base from yes. the beginning. And it's still a military airbase. As you know, until 2006, it was a uh, U.S. Air Force yes. uh, military base. After that, it turned to be a NATO airbase. And because Iceland uh, doesn't have any army or air force, uh, now there are NATO air force who come to Iceland uh, time to time. Uh, well, not. But it, it's a much long. it's a much smaller presence than the American presence before two thousand and six. Yeah, you can say that, but uh, actually NATO presence is growing. It's growing year after year. What was there a fear when the Americans left? Let's take two thousand and six as the the point yeah. of this. Was there a fear for the future of Keplavik Airport, or was it doing so much tourist business by then that it wasn't a concern? Um, there was a fear, of course, uh, maybe even uh, earlier, like in 2004, 2005, when it was already uh, known that Americans are about to leave. Yeah. Uh, the main reason is, of course, uh, because uh, U.S. paid a lot for the for the maintaining the airport. And uh, they still pay a lot, actually. Now, uh, I remember there was a reconstruction process um, in the military part a couple of years ago, and... Uh, there were talks that uh, Americans will spend billions on that because they they uh, built a new station for the uh, uh, marine intelligence aircraft uh, who are hunting the submarines in the Atlantic Ocean. Mm. And they need a particular one station when they uh, clean the planes from the salt water because when they fly uh, low over the ocean, there's some... Uh, you know, salt water going uh, on the bottom of the plane. Yes. And then uh, they need to clean it after the flight. So there is a special station where this plane just taxi on, and then there is some uh, cleaning substance going from the giant the car wash. Basically, a plane wash. <laughs> plane yeah. wash, yeah. You, you can say that. Something we've not talked about is the design of the airport. And I, I have known people who've come to Iceland and have been struck by what they have said is the beauty of Keplavik as a piece of architecture, as a building, and as an internal piece of design. You're obviously a fan of aviation, a fan of airports as well. Is it a beautiful airport, do you think? For me, yes, of course. It's pretty It's pretty beautiful. Um, the architecture of the main terminal is interesting. Uh, the whole area is uh, well organized, I would say. Uh, the main reason uh, of um, extension is, I would say, that it just uh, doesn't have enough capacity right now. Yeah, it's too small for the number of people who exactly, want to use it. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, yeah, but I'm pretty sure, uh, because I saw the project of the new terminal, it will be also a, a beautiful piece of it, uh, of, of, of building, uh, which is compared to Reykjavik Airport. Mm. Uh, you can see that Reykjavik Airport a bit stuck in time. Uh, what we have now, it's still from like 80s, 90s in yes. the best. Uh, like uh, I now I work in the uh, one of the first uh, buildings in the airport in the like historical terminal, and it's 
when you are inside you can see how small is that and uh, it has its um, like you know advantages like because it, you don't need to walk a lot but still when there are like more than 10 people inside yes. you already feel like uh, <laughs> overcrowded it's it's yeah too small. and it's already getting to the stage where i mean you know by comparison with some airports the distances that you have to walk inside are not too great but they're going to get longer people yeah. are going to have to take and allow longer to get to their gates aren't they yeah yeah for sure but uh, it's also important how it's organized in the way, like where you have rest areas and yeah. where you can sit on the way. Because, you know, in some big airports, you need, you need to walk, to walk and to walk. Like I experienced it just earlier this year. I was in uh, LaGuardia Airport in New York. And uh, after I left my plane, I had to walk for maybe like another 15 minutes yeah. uh, without stop. I'm just walking, walking, walking. I was like, what the hell? Where, when it's when it all over, you know, I'm still walking. Uh, just to go yes. to the main entrance. And we're not seeing that at Keplavik yet, but I remember at Stansted Airport once I'd, mm-hmm. we'd landed and I went to get my car, which was in the car park, and it was so far away that my Apple Watch said, it looks like you are working out. <laughs> it, 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 registered, it registered a brisk outdoor walk as a workout because it was so damn far from the plane to the car park. Yeah, and actually, uh, to that, in Keplavik, <laughs> I think we have a special shuttle, which is uh, just cruising uh, between terminal and car park. Well, yeah, the thing about Keplavik is, though, that even if you're in the, the, the P3 lot, even at its furthest extremities, it's still walkable. I mean, I'd, I'll be changing my mind on that, of course, when it's battering down with snow and heavy yeah, winds. it depends on the weather. But at the moment, it doesn't feel too bad to walk even to the very furthest reaches of that car park. But yes, as we've said, in a, a multi-storey car park or something that shields the vehicles from the weather would be good. Underground, so underground would be... By the weather. Underground would be even better, I suppose, wouldn't it? Just briefly on the other airports around the country, which we have talked about. We've talked about the history of Akureyri Airport Eilstadir in the east and Isafjörður that we've mentioned as well. I know that both Akureyri and Eilstadir want to become points of entry to the country as well, not least because they want to bring tourists to the north and tourists to the east of the country. Is that something that will grow, do you think? Will that take pressure off Keplavik? Um, of course, it's a better idea to, you know, just diverse the entry points and make... Uh, Akureyri and Elistadir available, um, but uh, you need to consider that uh, what Akureyri and Elistadir aiming for is mm. mostly charter flights and it's more, mostly season flights, something for the summer high season, and that not that there is there are not much flights during the low season and the winter. Yeah. Uh, so it I would say it will help Keplavik to cope with the demand. Uh, and of course, it's always better for tourists uh, who are, you know, who already maybe visited and experienced the basic program in Iceland, just to go directly to Akureyri or Elistadir. So they yeah, to, they yeah. don't need to drive uh, for like uh, depends where they go, like for six eight hours. Yeah, I think of the north particularly around Akureyri. If you could fly there from the UK and spend seven days, ten days, whatever, based in the north of Iceland, you'd have a fantastic time without ever coming near the capital because Akureyri is such a wonderful place, I think. Actually, if we, if, if we will take a look on the business model of this small airport, 
uh, we can see that the development started just um, uh, several years ago. Mm. Before that, uh, the whole fate of this airport were under the question, and there were even discussion if Iceland actually needs so many uh, domestic airports. Uh, and because some of them, as it was discussed, can be uh, just changed to bus service, for mm. example. Uh, why do we need to take a bus uh, to take a plane if we can just drive there? We have a road there, you know. Uh, but then uh, it was stated that no, actually, aviation is the very important uh, part of uh, like this commute service mm. in Iceland. Uh, and it's really quick as well. I mean, if you're flying to Akureyri from the domestic airport... 40 minutes. But at either end as well, it's really fast because yeah. there's no great two, three, four-hour wait at the airport exactly. before you get on the plane and you're straight off at the other end. And the ba- I mean, I flew to Isafjörder a couple of months ago and my bag arrived, I think, in about 30 seconds. Yeah. <laughs> One trolley full of cases well, that in, came straight in, off the in plane. The airport, I see uh, <laughs> almost every day how... The guys just uh, unload Eagle airplanes and they basically yeah. just take the uh, luggage from the plane and just handle it directly to the passengers. And it takes like just walking distance, yeah. like 20 yeah. seconds. Yeah, as yeah. You I said. think that's what happened to Isafjörder. So we've covered, I think, Akureyri, we've talked about, we've talked about Keplavik, and of course, we've talked about the effect, limited effect on aviation of the volcano. We shall talk again, though, Andre. Well, yeah, what should sure. we cover next? Uh, we need to, to think about it, but yeah. there are a lot of uh, topics to cover. Let me think. Let's have a think. Know. Yeah, because it's an endlessly fascinating story as far as I'm concerned. And Aviation, so important. And it's still developing and every still day. Developing. Yeah, for sure. Okay, Andre, for now, thank you very much indeed. Andre Menchenin uh, joining me here today on Rouve English. My name is Darren Adam. You can get in touch with us anytime. We are English at ruv.is. You're listening to the Rouve English podcast. To hear more and for all the news from Iceland in English, just head to ruv.is English.